So thankful for the Spirit of God moving in our midst. I haven't had the privilege to meet you. My name is Joe. I have the opportunity to serve here as lead pastor and so grateful for what God is doing in and through New Freedom Church. You know, last week uh, we sang that same song and our altars were filled and we were praying and praising God. And, and this week, not, not one uh, person in the altar. But here, here's the thing. God can do a new thing every single time. It doesn't have to be routine. It doesn't have to be mundane. It, it can be new. And so whether people are standing here and worshiping or you're standing out there, whether the altars are full or not, we know God is still the same God. He doesn't change, right? Amen. So let's determine in this year of prayer, 2020, to let God do what God does best, to just let him have his way. And he will do that if we agree in faith. Amen? Uh, turn with me to Psalm 120. I want to uh, launch a brand new series this morning uh, titled, A Journey Through the Psalms, The Pages of Life. The pages, all of our lives have a certain page that's been written and, and pages that are being written. And this series is going to be in two chunks or two sections. We're going to do seven parts of this series now, and then come the fall time of 2020, we're going to do another eight uh, sections of this, and I'll explain to you why here in just a little bit. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament book of Psalms over the next few weeks, and this is not just Psalms, but they're hymns, they're poems, they are um, uh, songs and, and word illustrations. This book is the most quoted book in all of the Old Testament scriptures re reoccurring in the New Testament. So of all the books in the Old Testament, this one gets requoted the most in the New Testament. And together they're referred to as the hymn book or the, the prayer book of Jesus and his disciples. This would have been the book that they would constantly go to in times of seeking after God, in times of trying to determine what God would have them do in their lives. I don't know about you, but there are, are many times in a week where I have to ask God, what are you doing in my life? What do you need of me in this hour, in this day? And many of these Psalms, they were committed to memory and they knew them by heart. They, they had rehearsed them so often that they just knew these innately. They were, they were just in their heart after having talked about them so many times. Uh, you and I can relate to this in, in modern terms if we think about it in the context of pop songs or songs that, that we've sung a lot of times. Now, I'm a child of the 80s, and so for me, there are some songs that when I hear these songs, I can just rattle off the words immediately because my mom had them playing in the car when I was a kid. Of course, yeah, I didn't want to listen to those stations, but now I'm thinking I can hear these songs. Now, I'm, for some of you, it's probably Christian music, I'm sure, that that you just have it memorized by heart. For, for me, some of the pop songs of the 80s, I mean, I can just hear a verse or a lyric, and it takes me back where I was when, when that song was being popularized. And, and amazingly, I haven't heard maybe these songs for years, but I know almost every single word. I mean, some of you don't want to see the video of me singing with the teenagers in, this, in the bus on the way down to Winterfest. You've already seen it, haven't you? I mean, every word came back. Now, the only thing that didn't really come back that day is my dance. I just, my, uh, when I did that kick, I think I pulled a muscle in my, my thigh, but uh, I won't do that. I'm a little older and wiser now. But that's what happens when we rehearse something time and time again is it gets into our heart. It just settles into our spirit. And so these psalms or these, these hymns were, were uh, sung time and again, especially 120 through 134, Psalm 120. Through 134, there are 15 songs, we call them songs of ascent. 
Because any place that you would travel to to get to the city of Jerusalem, you had to go up. And so the pilgrims in this day would make their three annual pilgrimages for the fall festivals, the spring festival, the summer festival, and they would go up into the house of God. It's like when you read the Psalms, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up into the house of the Lord. It was a travel up. It was ascending up a mountain because Jerusalem sits on a mountaintop. And so they were traveling up this mountain to go and to meet with their God. This is what a song of ascent meant. So they would start out with this first one, Psalm 120, and it would take them a, a, a matter of time to get all the way up the mountain until they rehearsed all 15 of these psalms. Many times they would go again and again over these psalms. And uh, each psalm begins with a prayer that evokes an experience being far from home. They were travelers far from home, and they're coming back to their native city. They're coming back to Jerusalem. It ends with a praise of God in the sanctuary. And these 15 psalms, this is what I love, is they touch on the experience common to all travelers on this Christian journey. So there are things that are different about our pathway of life. There are things that you experience different than I experience, but they have overlapping, they have overlay of commonality. That what I go through and what you go through have flavors of similarity that we can relate with one another when we share what it is God has done in and through our lives. Psalm 120 is a song of a person who is fed up. You ever been fed up? Now, come on. I'm an audience participation preacher. If you help me out, I'll preach faster, okay? Have you ever been fed up? Yeah, me too. I've been fed up. There are some times where I just feel like I don't know why this is happening. I am just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this person in Psalm 120 was fed up with the lies that the world had to offer. The lies that the world offered was all kinds of illusion of what life should look like or what life should be like. Or it was looking over and seeing what someone else's life was perfectly following a pattern, but your life somehow did not fit that pattern. And so you get fed up. Psalm 120 has just seven verses. I want to read all of those this morning. In my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from the lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? Or what shall be done to you, you false tongue, sharp arrows of a warrior with coals of a broom tree? Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Woe is me, he says. Verse 6, my soul has dwelt too long with ones who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Let's just dissect a couple of these verses. Verse 1 is a cry unto God when in distress. I cried unto God in my distress. I can't think of any better time to cry unto God than when I am stressed, when I'm anxious, when the things around me are falling apart. This is where the psalmist went to to say, you know what, in these times, I cry unto God. It's okay to cry unto God in your distress, but you know, God would like to hear from us in our thankfulness too in our gratefulness, in the times that are good, but particularly in this time of distress, he says, I cried unto God, and this is pretty good. I like this part. He says, God heard me. And one thing I know about you, because I know it about me, is that when I speak, I really want to be heard. And more than just heard, I would like to be understood. I would like for someone to process first what I'm saying before they're calculating their response. But 
in this context, not only does God understand, he, he has heard and he understands what we are going through. I don't know about you, but that brings me comfort to know that God of all of heaven, he not only hears me, but he understands what I'm going through. In a time of distress, I call unto God. Now, here's why I think it's important that you and I study the Bible through a couple different translations, because I looked this up in another translation. I looked this up in the NIV, and I was pretty content with when I cried to God in my distress, he heard me. But look what it says in the NIV. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Now that gets me excited. I don't know about you, but just to be heard is one thing, but for God to sit there and think and contemplate and say, okay, I heard you. I understand you. And here's my answer to you. This is the kind of God we serve. The God that desires not just that we give to him our troubles and our distresses, but that we wait and we anticipate what his answer is going to be. And so the psalmist here is saying, I'm going to go up in the house of God. I'm going to cry out to God in my distress, and God hears and God answers me. Verse 2 is a plea for deliverance from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. It goes along with verse 3 when he talks specifically to the tongue. Lying lips, people who have lied about me. Deceitful tongue are people who have told me what I want to hear when I'm face-to-face with them. But just as soon as I get away from them, they're saying another's tune. They're, they're singing another story. There's something different. That is a deceitful tongue. And something common to all Christ followers is this. The world, the world system, I, I'm not talking about the earth, the globe. I'm not talking about the terra firma, the, the, the you know, ground that we dig. But I'm talking about the world system thinks that what you and I do when we come into a, a house of prayer, when we come into a place of worship, they think that we are strange, that we are different, that we are peculiar, and they are actually right. We are a peculiar people. But the lying lips and the deceitful tongue has a notion that Christ followers are going to have a little bit of a a combating in their hearts and spirit against the ways of this world because this world doesn't understand you. This world doesn't understand why that you would go and spend time worshiping on a Sunday morning when there's so many other things you could do, why you would serve your church, why would you, you would give to your church, why that you would fellowship there with all those, ready, hypocrites. Hypocrites are just actors, that's all it is. There's a lot of hypocrites in bars. There's a lot of hypocrites on the job. There's a lot of hypocrites in, in sports and in media. There's, there's, there's actors everywhere. You know what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to act out for the Lord closest that I can to his word, that I can be like David, a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart in your context. And so these lying lips were coming to invade and to be all around him. And he speaks directly to this tongue. And he says, there is a judgment upon you. There is something that is going to uh, come upon you. And it's going to be sharp arrows of a warrior with hot coals of a broom tree. Now, remember, the Psalms are word pictures. The Psalms are stories. They're poems. And so arrows represented the judgment of an invading force, or it represent a warring system that would come against this lying tongue. And a broom tree was unique because a broom tree was, was a, a kind of a plant that when you would cut it down and burn it, its uh, branches would burn very hot, but its coals would stay with that heat for longer than any other kind of wood. And so what this is referring to is 
Those people who have told lies, those deceitful tongue talkers against the walk of a a saint of God, against a person who is in the upward path ascending to the place of worship, they are going to have a judgment that will come upon them. And this is actually a desire of the psalmist. Here's what you're going to love about the psalms. I don't know. I love it about the psalms. Is that they're so real and raw that when they've had adversity, they say, God, there's my enemies. Go get them. You know, you and I, in our Christian context, we think, oh, that's so we're too pious, we're too holy, we can't do that. No, there are times when someone has lied on you, when someone has deceived you, that you just want to say to God, God, there they are, you know their address, go get them. And the psalmist does this. Now, this only brings a temporary relief because he he quickly centers himself back to where he should be, which is his relationship with the Lord and and with worship. But in verses uh, uh, 5 and and 6, 7, verse 5, he says, I am stuck in Meshach, and I dwell in the land of Kedar. These are two uh, illustrative cities that are foreign invaders. These are, are foreign people who have come in to uh, camp and, and, and to torment the, the people of God. In other words, what he's saying is, I am surrounded by people who just want to fight. I want peace, but every time I speak of peace, they go to war. Does anybody feel sometimes that in our culture, we are so supercharged with debate and schism and infighting that all around us, we're just surrounded by bickering and complaining and people who just always want to play, get this, the devil's advocate. Why would you ever want to be his advocate? Just want to play the devil's advocate. No, don't be his advocate. Be God's advocate. But he's saying we're surrounded. He, he's, he's feeling this discouragement from being surrounded by all these naysayers, by all the people who said, you can't do it. You'll never do it. You don't have what it takes. And he said, I'm surrounded. Here's the value, I believe, of gathering in a place like this on a regular basis, us getting together as the people of God, coming to a time of worship, having wonderful worship like this, hearing of the word, is that we recognize that outside of these walls, we are surrounded by a world system that says, you stand out different, you talk different, you look different. I'm not sure I want you part of my party. I'm not sure I want you in my crowd. But in this room, what we recognize is that we have brothers and sisters, different ages, colors, different backgrounds, all kind of various experiences that come here, and we are surrounded by people of like precious faith. We are surrounded by people who also are on a pilgrim's journey, who says, this world system, this is not my home, but I long for a city whose builder and maker is God. And I'm going to that place, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to live on this earth as though God has invaded his heaven in my earth every single day that I can. And I'm looking forward to that day when heaven does become earth, and Jesus comes, and he steps out, and he says, come to welcome his children home. Amen. It's a glorious day. But until that day, we have to recognize that we are surrounded by not only one another, but a great cloud of witnesses, a heavenly host of witnesses that are cheering us on, that we are not alone, that we may look like we're surrounded by all these these foreign invaders like the psalmist, but we are really encamped round about with God's heavenly host. And we have more for us than who are against us. And he he goes into uh, verses 6 and 7, and he says, My soul has dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I want peace. If you were here last week, you know what uh, God's rhythm is. I gave it to you in seven-day kind of context. 
Every single day there was a different rhythm. Well, this is a Wednesday dweller. Because Wednesday in God's rhythm, I made this up, okay? This is me. Wednesday in God's rhythm is the day to be at peace. It's a day to be at peace. So Psalm 120 is about, I want to be at peace. I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who just want to fight and bicker and complain and be at war. I have dwelt here long enough. I like this part because this is an action verse. This is a verse that's saying, you know what? I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not staying where I'm at. I'm not going to stay down. I'm not going to be suppressed. I'm not going to be quiet when they say, don't sing so loud. Don't shout out that praise. Don't say the name of Jesus. No, I'm going to cry loud and spare not and lift up my voice in the streets because Jesus is king. This is an action verse. And here's what they're saying is it's time to turn unto God. It's time to worship God. Now, here's what I love about the Old and New Testaments. Listen. This book, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 books, the counsel of God, it is so tightly woven that if you pull a thread in Genesis, it puckers in Revelation. This is the word of God. And what was a whisper in the Old Testament becomes a shout in the New Testament. This verse is an action verse of a Bible word known as, you ready for this? Repentance. This entire chapter is a chapter on repentance. The way that you ready and prepare yourself to go into the presence of God is with a repentant heart. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I say the word repentance, some of you already shut me off because you have an old context or a notion that repentance is a bad thing. That repentance is what other people do when they feel sorry about their sin. When you've been a bad little boy and a bad little girl, you come up to the altar and you what? You repent. That's the concept many of us get about the word repentance. But repentance, the Bible says, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So what is repentance? I'm glad you asked. It is the very first message that John the baptizer preached. It's the very first message that Jesus Christ preached, the very first message that the apostle Peter in the book of Acts preached. The great apostle Paul had it thread all the way through his writings. And here it is. It takes various flavors and forms, but it really has the same basis. Repentance, you can write this down, is turning unto God. Repent means to turn unto God. The Greek word for repent, uh, we, we, we translated it into English as repent, but in the Greek, the word is metanoia. Meta means change, and noia means mind. So repentance isn't just simply being sorry that you've done something and you got caught. Repentance is something that you say, you know what? I used to think like this. I used to believe like that. I used to be led in that direction, but you know what? I've reconsidered. I have changed my mind. And I'm going to now start thinking like this and thinking like that and operating like that. I've had a change of mind. John the Baptist came and he said, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the announcer, the forerunner of Christ. He was announcing that Jesus was soon to come onto the scene. And he said, repent and be baptized. The baptized part is that in the water, there is a symbol of uh, uh, purification, 
You can never wash away sin with water. That was never the intent. It was very clear about that. But there is purification through water. So he's saying when you've changed your mind, the proof positive that you've changed your mind is that you'll go and be baptized. When you turn unto God, you publicly make a confession, I belong to the family of God. Baptism is important. In old day altar calls, what it was was not come to the front and raise your hand and say that you accepted Jesus. It was, if you accepted Jesus, meet us down at the river, we're going to have a baptism. (laughs) That was an altar call. And the people that showed up down there to say, wait a minute, I've already had a bath today. Why am I getting wet again? No, it is symbolic. I am going to go under the water, which is dying the death of Christ. Like in his, I'm baptized in his death. I'm going to stay, some of you may be longer than others, under the water. as the purification of that water immerses me. And when I come up out of the water, it's to newness of life in his resurrection. So John the Baptist said, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, he said, repent. He said, because the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus is the embodiment of what the apostle John, or the John the Baptist preached about. Jesus is the embodiment, heaven coming to earth. The miracles, the signs, and the wonders of Jesus were proof positive that heaven had, in fact, come to earth. Every single time that you and I see a miracle, sign, or wonder happening in our day, every single time that we, we give someone a drink of water who's thirsty, every single time that we, we heal a hurt and we feel a need, every time that that happens, we are symbolically and really bringing heaven to earth for a little glimmer, a little glimpse. And we know that heaven is not completely invaded earth and it's there's still a lot of evil and a lot of things we long for that day but jesus said repent the kingdom of heaven is here and then peter in the book of acts said repent and be baptized again so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord so repentance brings refreshing There are three themes that I want to quickly go through in Psalm 120 that practically apply to us. The first one is that of disenchantment. When you are consumed by a lie that what you are experiencing is unnatural, that what you are going through is an exception, that nobody else has been through what you've been through, that you're just going through, you get disenchanted with life. When you get disenchanted Typically, what you want to do is you want to run. You want to escape. You want to get away. You want to plan that next vacation because I'm just disenchanted. Nobody else has gone through this. This is the value of getting in a life group. This is the value of locking arms with other believers because when you start to feel that tinge of disenchantment, someone can put their arm around you and they can, in a context that is appropriate for the moment, say, I know where you've been. I know where you are because I've been there. And I want to tell you, you may not see it right now, but you're going to get through this. Disenchantment settles on the heart of every pilgrim who has ever said yes to Jesus Christ. It is natural. It is normal. It is not avoidable. We are going to have some kind of disenchantment. And what happens next is we get dissatisfied. There's a dissatisfaction in the way that our world is going. We don't have the position that we wanted to have. Our status isn't where we thought it would be. Our lot in life isn't like someone else said it would be. And here's what I need to tell you is beware of allowing other people to affect your satisfaction. 
Beware of allowing someone else's disenchantment and discontentment affect your satisfaction. The psalmist said, I'm going up to the house of the Lord. Whether you come with me or not, I'm going up. I'm going to worship God because I used to think like that, that I was all alone, that I'm on an island by myself, that God doesn't care about me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. You know, you've heard that. We think that we're the only one going through. And when we allow others to say, you know, if I were you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd quit. I'd throw in the towel. I read the other day, someone said, I thought about throwing in the towel, but then I remembered how much laundry I already had. (laughs) Don't allow someone else's sense of discontentment affect your satisfaction. But here's what you should do is number three, where the psalmist got to is he got to dependence. Independence is really a matter of changing your mind from your independence to the dependence you have on God. It's repentance. It's changing your mind. Now, this is a hard word for us westernized Christians, especially for American Christians, because for the last couple of hundred years, we have prided ourselves, and in fact, we set aside an entire day. It's a holiday every summer. It's called the 4th of what? It's called Independence It's the entire day that we celebrate our independence. And thank God for the sovereignty of our country that we can determine our own destiny through our voting, through our choices, that we live in the greatest country ever in the entire world. Thank God for the United States of America. I am proud to be an American. But can I tell you with a little asterisk at the end of that, it doesn't wash with being dependent upon God. Because we can get so entrenched in our independence and do it our own way. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mindset. A work mentality that if I don't do it, it won't get done. It's this little mindset that we get when we see someone begging on the roadside. Maybe you haven't thought it, but I've thought it. Unemployment's at 3.5%. Why don't that guy go get a job? Why don't he just work for his family? Why is he out there big? I wonder how much money he made out there today anyway. We get this mindset that everybody can just do it. They can push through. They can work harder. And it does not do any good for our dependence upon God. We need to declare as children of God, as worshipers of the Most High, our complete and utter dependence upon Him. And it happens through a mind change. You go and serve at a soup kitchen, a feeding program, and you talk to some of these people who are out of work and homeless and haven't had a meal for a couple days, and you get into the the issues of their life and to the abuses that have happened to them and to the mental health issues that they have and why that they can't hold down a job, it, it'll make you repent because it'll change your mind. It'll make you realize there's more to the story than what you're seeing. And that next time you might just go ahead and give a couple dollars and think, you know what? If they misuse it, that's on them. I did my part. I'm depending on God. I let him take care of the results. I'm not gonna pre-qualify and pre-judge what that person's doing, because I don't know where they've been. I don't know what they've gone through. You know, it's an amazing thing about life. You live long enough, you go around 
the circle enough times. Ecclesiastes says it like this, there's nothing new under the sun, what has been will be. Life has an interesting way of changing our mind when we sit in the seat that others have sat in before us. And what's the Psalm say? Blessed is the man who sits not in the seat of the scornful or walks in the path of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he delights both day and night. He meditates in that word. Repentance is the remedy for our disenchantment. Repentance is the remedy for our dissatisfaction and repentance is the key for our dependence. As I close, I wanna tell you that when you repent to God, you become vulnerable again to hope. You become vulnerable again to believe that better things can happen in your life. You desire to see wholeness and health in the lives of those who are around you. You're no longer tricked when you have changed your mind by, if I just get a new lover, if I just get another drug, if I have a new gadget. No, only God can slake the thirst that is in your life. Only God can quench that desire for abundant life. Jesus said, I come to give you life and that life more abundant. So I wanna ask you this morning, What lies have you believed about yourself? Have you believed the lie that you have gone too far? Have you believed the lie that you have sinned too much? That you're too big, that you're too little? The lie that you're too old or you're too young? The lie that you just don't have what it takes? These are lies because we have been made righteous by nothing else other than his blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. It's time to change your mind. It's time to get a new mindset. It's time to turn around and turn unto God. It's time to repent. But repentance, it's not an emotion. Hear me, repentance is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not just being sorry for your sins. Repentance, it's a decision. It's a decision. You know, whereas in baptism and water, it only takes one time. Repentance, the message that John and Jesus and Peter preached, repentance, now that's an everyday occurrence. I have to wake up every single morning and I have to put on the mind of Christ. I have to think like this word instructs me because the world is pounding in. The world is crushing in. The world has an agenda and an advertisement for me and one for you, but we have to decide. I'm going up. I'm going to the house of the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know what you're going to do, but I come to praise Jesus. I come to give him honor. I come to give him worthy praise. He's worthy of all the praise. I repent. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many else in this room would would come into a repentant prayer with me this morning to change your mind about the way you've been living, to change your mind about the way you've been thinking. I wanna pray for three areas this morning. First of all, it's for those people who are far from God. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You have never repented of your sin. You need to do that. It's important. 
He said, if you will call to him, then he will answer to you. He is faithful and just as we pray to forgive you from all sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That with the heart one believes unto salvation and with the mouth confession is made. So that first category of repentance is to say yes to Jesus. And if you do that today, I'm gonna encourage you here in a minute to raise your hand. And when you do that, I want you to follow that up with telling somebody and being baptized. It's very important. The second category of people are those that are in this room and you say, I've been serving Jesus for a long time, but I've got some things in my life that I need to change my mind about. And that is what I wanna pray is that you would have a heart of repentance. You would change your mind. The third category is I wanna pray for those that are burdened because of someone else. There's someone whom you've invited them, you've asked them, they won't come to church. They don't want to be part of this religious stuff. They, They cast down on it. And you may feel like you're surrounded this morning like the church is the only refuge for you. It's the only place that you get to come for just a couple hours a week and get any kind of reprieve and, and you feel all alone. And I wanna pray for you that you get a mindset change about what's happening in your surroundings. Now, if that any of those three applied it to you, would you just raise your hand and take it right back down? I just wanna see, I just wanna see, amen. It means a lot of people were ministered to this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Heavenly Father, come to you this morning humbly with nothing to offer except for my dependence. I come to you on behalf of those who have raised their hands and perhaps even others that wish that they had raised their hands. And personally, individually, I get a mind change this morning. I repent, God. I've thought wrong things about people, about surroundings, about environments. I've thought wrong things about you. I repent. And God, also for those that have raised their hand, that they're just wanting to know what it's like to be in the family of God, that this would be their first step, this would be their day. You would visit them this morning, I pray. And lastly, for those that are burdened, because they feel like they're all alone, and there's someone on their heart that they would love to see have a repentant heart, mind change. I, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you go and you do exactly what needs to be done to that person's heart and mind cause them to know the goodness of God that leads to repentance. I thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now look up here, look up here. If you prayed any of those prayers, we wanna know about it. There's a connection card in your bulletin. You can fill that out. You can let us know what it is that God's done for you. And particularly if this is your first time to say yes to Jesus, we wanna get in touch with you because we've got a resource for you to give you and we've got some next steps for you to share. Next week, we'll be sharing part two of this series. This is gonna be for the next six weeks now. We've got the first one. And every one of them is an ascent to somewhere else. So please be part of this. You're gonna enjoy this series. It's, it's a really great series. Uh, in about two or three minutes, we're gonna close the service. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and dismiss. If you need to go, you can go. But we are holding our annual family meeting. It was, it was planned to be this Wednesday, but there was a funeral this Wednesday that the building is gonna be occupied for. So we moved it up to, to do it today. And this is where we give a little recap of our previous year of how things have gone and a little look forward to our new year. Everyone is welcome to attend. Everyone is invited to stay, come right back in here. If you're a member of record, you can get a ballot in the back. Um, we're gonna be uh, affirming our, our uh, church budget 
uh, for those who are voting members, but everyone is welcome to stay. You don't have to be a member to stay. If you fellowship here, you can stay. And I, I'm gonna share something with you, a little teaser. As I was, I was flipping through, this is my, my preaching binder that I, I use every week, put some notes in here. And I was flipping through to put my pages in this morning in my office and I came across this, this paper. It's Vision 2010 and Beyond. 10 years ago, I cast a vision for this congregation. It says, this was shared with NFC January 3rd of 2010, Pastor Joe. I put my name on there like I didn't know who wrote Pastor Joe. I have had this in this book for 10 years. Every single week I've walked to this platform or the one downtown, I've carried this paper to the stage. I'll just share the first one with you. I'm gonna share all of them in the, in the, in the family meeting. I'll just share the first one with you. It's already been fulfilled. I can see the day when our 11 a.m. service is so full that we have to add additional services. I, I, I don't know how many. Do you know how many in, in nine o'clock this morning? How many? So, like, like 60 people this morning were in our nine o'clock service. That, that's a record. That's like we've, we've never had that many other than for a special service. That's been fulfilled. There's other things on here that I was just elated as I read that, that are already done. And so we want to celebrate, we want to rejoice, but we want to do it with faith-filled eyes to look forward to what's next. So please stay and join us to see that. It's going to take about 30 minutes. There's going to be a table in the back for the children. We don't have childcare, but there's a little play table. We've got some areas set up there uh, for them. Quick PowerPoint presentation, and we'll be all done. Let's all stand together. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. There's probably still some, some good fellowship opportunities out there in the lobby. You can feel free to do that. Uh, go ahead and get a bathroom break real quick and meet us back in here in about five minutes. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. We do have nursery available.